We stay together, we survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. To communicate. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. Cohesion. You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Latoya Lin, Chief People Officer at Help Scout. Fascinated by the connection between employee and employer, Latoya has wanted to be an HR practitioner since she was 16. Her impressive career spans multiple executive and leadership roles in HR and talent strategy at publicly traded billion dollar companies like LivePerson, Compass, and Oscar Health. On this episode, LaToya sits down with Amanda to discuss how HR leaders influence the human experience in the workplace. She also shares how Tina Turner influenced her career and why CEOs are responsible for diversity and inclusion. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. If you are looking to increase employee engagement, collaboration, and connectivity, Simpler is your answer. Learn more at simpler.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Latoya Lin, Chief People Officer at Help Scout, and your host, Amanda Berry, Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. Latoya, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I want to start with a little bit about your background. You have such a strong background. I've been reading about you online. Will you talk a little bit about how you got into HR? Yeah. So I actually wanted to be an HR practitioner when I was around 16, 17, which is the feedback that I've gotten is kind of unusual. I grew up in New York City. All of my friends are artists. You know, it's a high energy city. Everything is go fat, you know, and then also there's a lot of retail. And I worked in retail and I worked in different organizations. My first job was at the Joseph Pat Public Theater in downtown. And, you know, I was so connected to the interaction between the employees, the employer, like the management structure what we were told to do, how we connected to the entire experience, the patrons that came and saw the plays, the actors, I was just so connected to all of that. Now, I did not have that language <laughs> at 16 over the years. I've developed it, and I, and I always was interested in understanding the dynamics of how people go through their career journey. Why do they choose jobs? Like It was interesting because it was very diverse. It was like, it was, it was my first job, and then at 16 years old, but then it was some people there that was much older than I was doing the same job who were, you know, kind of doing this every single summer and had different interests and things like that. And I just thought that was so fascinating. Um, so that's kind of like started to pique my interest in the uh, space of HR. Awesome. So that's, I was going to ask you where your passion for people came from, but it sounds like really was that first role where you began to make all those connections. Tell me a little about your current role as chief people officer at Help Scout. Yeah, so Help Scout is, I want to say, one of those companies that really, that what attracted me to that company, really, out of all the organizations I've worked for in the past, you know, really focused on what the people experience really means to them. It is held at the same bar as the quality of the product and what we do for our external clients 
And it really, really makes the job as chief people officer so meaningful. So, you know, what I do there is, you know, very forward thinking, how to grow and scale the team, how to create policies and practices that make sense for people to feel growth and also treat employees like adults. We're very transparent in every way. We share everything. We hold space for people when they have questions or concerns. So it's quite a very unique organization. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to move into our first segment called Story Time. Welcome to Story Time. To start a little bit uh, and talk about your dual master's degree in uh, industrial organizational psychology and organizational behavior. And I, I know you also have experience in a lot of different industries. Can you talk a little about how your education has prepared you to work across industries? Yeah. So, I mean, my education really, and I would say, say that five times fast. <laughs> It's so long. It's so long. So a lot. So my education, I was extremely intentional. I decided to go to Brooklyn College because I felt that that institution, um, anyone who was in psychology or any type of like major in that area, like in that area, any famous, well-known psychologist influenced the industry either went there or taught there. The chairman of who created my program, Dr. Bussey Chenowitz, he was a student of Abraham Manslow, who did the, the hierarchy of needs. You know, and I can give you more examples of, you know, where like some of these very famous studies were done at Brooklyn College. So the energy around like psychology of the workplace and IO psychology really was really rooted and had a pretty strong program. I was intentional in that sense where I focused every single fiber of my being into my education. So I didn't work for two years. I worked in a laboratory, um, in, a, in, a, in a cognitive neuroscience laboratory to kind of like, you know, have some pocket money. But I really like focused myself. And, and I think what was so rewarding about that is I really wanted to dedicate time to really understand the dynamics of humans and individual within the workplace. I never wanted to, I went into this, I don't want to be the typical HR person that pushes paper around, builds policy, doesn't influence, you know, motivators or intent. And I want to be able to be in a space where I can challenge business leaders and also show up as like almost like a product leader. Like I have this expertise, I have this knowledge, it's, I have grit to it. And when I enter in the workforce, like I'm going to bring that with me. So that's how my education really influenced what I did. Typically with people with my degree, they go into like people analytics because it's a lot of experimental psychology, a lot of like, you know, understanding how interactions work. You know, if you do this one thing and you get this outcome, like what are we looking at? We're not looking at from a data driven standpoint. So there's a, so that's typically the runway um, of my role, but I decided to, I thought very big of my career in, in grad school. And I said to myself, okay, I'm going to learn this stuff because I know this is like the center and I feel like people are going to care about hard science. If I go back a little bit, I, I worked in a cognitive neuroscience lab in my undergrad and I got an undergrad in neuroscience. And I wanted to really like use that brain science to kind of show like more teeth into what I do and ask the right questions. And I wanted to kind of say to myself, when I get into the workforce, like I am going to be a different kind of HR people leader than the rest of my peers, tenured or not. And I want to be able to move light years ahead of how they're thinking. And that's how that's influenced my career. 
That's awesome. I want to talk about a little bit, dive into that a little bit, um, and can make a connection between what's happening right now in the world with the pandemic and all the you know social injustice and just how humans are feeling. You know, it's a scary time. It's a whole new way of living, working, being at home, going to the grocery store. Everything's changed drastically, and it's been tough. It's tough on humans who are also employees. You know, as someone in HR and also a leader, what should HR and leaders be doing to help humans who are employees along during this time? This is, might be a very provocative statement, but I think I need to make it. As hard as it, it has been for the pandemic and social unrest and all the things that we needed to do, what we've been doing and how we've been working, I strongly believe that this held up a serious mirror for a lot of HR leaders to work and be different and businesses to open up their minds, hearts, and souls to the value that the department brings. And unfortunately, it took an event like this or a series of events like this to kind of get to that place. But this is the type of work that is being pushed and required required of, of us now is the work that we should have been doing from day one. And example of that is we really need to be focusing on the human experience within the workplace. There is this concept where you leave your self-identity at the door and you come in and you assume the identity of the organization. That's actually a quote from um, Adam Smith. And, you know, why I'm so against that is like, that's how industries have been for at least for like the, the last like hundred years, right? It's been kind of like, you're almost like a factory worker in a sense. Managers never really cared about their people's personal lives. Managers and leaders didn't really care about the health and safety of their employees. Managers didn't really care about the social experiences of their employees. Businesses never really cared about, or all they all they did really, or they worried about is like, you're sitting at a desk doing the job, you're here from nine, you leave at five, and I get to look at you all day doing what I'm asking you to do. And the pandemic blew everything up. Companies gone public, you know, Oscar went public during the pandemic. Good work has been able to get done. And, you know, and people are realizing like, oh, we can be at home. We can actually trust our employees. We actually can focus on it. So as hard as, I think the hardest part for a lot of my fellow colleagues and any challenges that I've went through myself is to pivot. You know, and this is the actual work that we need to be doing. We need to be caring about mental health for our, of our employees. You know, how many babies have we seen in Zooms? We're getting views of people's homes and their kitchens. We're hearing like the dog barking in the background. Like work has now become real life. And people have to ask and hold space and ask questions about the human existence as opposed to the tactical deliverables that I need you to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I've been thinking about this. We're not talking about the employee experience anymore. We're talking about the human experience in their homes because it is it is more difficult, you know, watching uh, reaching employees when they're teaching their children because they can't go to school. And it's just been a, it's just been a wild, wild two years. I want to con- make one more connection to this. I had a really great time reading stuff you've written, watching presentations you've given, and I, I would ask our our listeners if you've got the opportunity just 
do a Google search of Latoya's name and watch some of the stuff she's on. It, it's it's really power. It's really impactful. It's smart. It's fun. It's it's everything. But I want to focus on the what's love got to do with the presentation you did. <laughs> I'm a big Tina Turner fan. Big lot of respect for her and what she's been through in her life. But in that disrupt talk, you talked about loving yourself and loving your job. You gave that talk right before the pandemic, I believe, in December 2019. Of course, like we just talked about, the pandemic became a very big, difficult time, and that was just one part of the difficult time that the last two years have been. When you think about that, is there anything you would add to that now um, about loving oneself, loving one's job, given what we've all been through in the past two years? Yeah. um, So it's so funny. That presentation that I did was an ode to self-care within the workplace, It was a time where I've had many colleagues kind of going through some personal matters and having to make hard decisions about their career and themselves. And also kind of like a a call out to the businesses on like really understanding what love has to do with it. You know, if you don't love your job, don't be in it, you know, do something different. And I know that that is a very privileged thing to say because some people have to work, you know, some people have to kind of put food on a table for their families. And really, I think I'm pushing it on the businesses to really make sure that people can have a loving relationship. People spend 80% of their time at work. It shapes our existence, right? We always say our friends and family shape us, but actually, you know, where you're spending your time, your view on the world, your view on hierarchy, your view on, you know, integrity of work and business really comes from the workplace. So it's so funny, you know, I was thinking about that presentation and Biggie Smalls has a a lyric that where he talks about, you know, blowing up like the world trade. And he actually wrote that lyric several years before um, 9-11. And I I felt connected to it in a sense of like, even like in retrospect, putting that presentation out there and then this happening, right? And how care and self-care in this space, really asking ourselves what love has to do with it. I think in parallel to Tina Turner, you know, why I used her was, you know, if anyone's seen that movie or know her story, I'm also a Buddhist and I'm also a fellow Buddhist in the same Buddhist sect that Tina Turner's in. I chant with the SGI USA and she's also a part of that. And she really leaned in on her career in a way where she worked through a lot of challenges personally and professionally to get what she wanted. And there's a famous part of the movie where she's divorcing from her very abusive husband, Ike. And she's like, he's like, I want to keep the car. I want to keep the house, all the money, everything. She's like, take it. All I want is my name. She's like, take it. All I want is my name. So that branding of who you are, it's so important to take your name, own it, and really connect as, as you go through your career really feel confident in the decisions that you made where they've been great ones or bad ones. You can really understand like the love that you have, what love really has to do with it is yourself. I know self-care has come up a lot in the past two years as well. So I thought I'd be remiss if I didn't ask that question. Um, Another great presentation you've given. I wanna move into the next segment. It's called Getting Tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. This, yeah, this is really just like, I would love to hear how you would do some, some things. 
I want to start with DE&I. Um, you, you've talked quite a bit about that space, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I know personally, I would love to see more of a focus and change around diversity and inclusion within a, as more than just a function in a business, but it becomes the DNA of a business. And we have a lot of uh, listeners who are in HR and internal communication um, that can um how can we in HR or internal communications help build in that change within a business so that it's more than just a function? It is. We are more diverse. We are more inclusive. Yeah. I mean, I'll start here and then I'll, I'll give a tactical example on how to do it. Um, you know, diversity and inclusion is my life because I am a woman of color in the LGBTQ community, IA as well. And immigrant families, you know, mild learning disabilities, all the things you can think of, like, that's just me. I'm all of those things as a human. And, you know, when you think about how that impacts my life and others li- other, other people's lives, the passion behind that becomes very clear. I think now, on a, from a tactical standpoint, the only way that it, it'll work it's not standing up a department. I don't think that's what really what it does. You could. I think that's you can kind of like use that as an education or like a, a place where, you know, people can like run programming and things like that. I think there's a lot of really great work that comes out of those departments. The only way that it works is if the head of diversity inclusion is the CEO of the company. Period. If if that is not your if that is not your situation then you are going to have a hard time really pushing any systemic changes. Um, the person that's probably doing the DNI role or running the department is probably struggling. And the thing that we have to do is make it like if like if you want to do this thing, then you have to be the head of diversity. Um, at Help Scout, before I got here, my CEO said to me, just because you are a, a black woman doesn't mean that you have to run diversity. You, you can be, you're my partner in this. But any moment you feel like it's, you're holding the burden of pulling this over, then I'm doing a bad job. I've done something wrong. And that was like before I even started. Like here, are all, and what he did was, here are all the things that I've been doing to date. And obviously I need some partnership on like how to like integrate it in certain areas. But I'm I am I am facing the company every single day. I'm facing the leadership every single day. Is there something in that when he when, when the person propped that up to you and said, "Here's what I've been doing," that you just saw a glaring hole that maybe people listening can go, "Yeah, we can we can change. We can do something like that." Like, what are some of those ways? I'm just very curious. So you coming in and looking at that, saying like, "This is very common that companies aren't doing X." I mean, listen, Amanda. Like, I think if your leadership team is not aligned with it then it's going to be very difficult for you. And I'm just going to be very honest. I think where you can take steps is present information, do listening sessions with your BIPOC community, lean into your ERGs if you have them, and provide that information up into whoever needs to hear what's going on. And then ask your CEO, what type of community would you like to build and here are some solutions to kind of do it, right? So I think that's the, that's the most tactical thing you can do. You know, indications of success is that 
your CEO is presenting this at the board level, which happens at Help Scout. What does that look like? What what is what gets presented? I assume there has to be some discussion on as as much as I hate to put it this way to cheapen it as a return on investment, right? If you're coming in setting this up, how do you show that there is success in setting up a like a diversity and inclusion part of the company? Yeah, so you're doing so how how we do it is we have trainings, we have a post survey and a a pre-survey and a post survey after the trainings and we measure changes between that. And we've found changes that are happening. The next phase of it is the application side and continuing the conversations as things go and making those investments. So an example of that is we'll have like a cohort of leaders come together and talk about, you know, what they learned, talk about real life examples that they can implement. And what we're really asking them to do is not come in with any shame but come in with curiosity because this is what's important for our culture. So that's how we do it. The HR, internal communications leader, and even to some extent like in you know, IT, oftentimes I work with those groups to have better communication, whether that be, you know, how do we tell better stories and reach people? So you, you talk a lot about like storytelling, you know, being good being a good storyteller that shows diversity um, and brings, you know, all the voices to the table. I guess my question would be since since you you know led HR, is there is there some way we could all be working together better to help with this effort? I mean, I think I said it. It's like the first step is get your CEO aligned. Like like this is an operational, like the people team, the HR team, they're operational functions, right? We support and and help the business grow and scale. We're program managers. Like we we make sure things go in and out the right way in the most effective and efficient way. We create good experiences and things like that. And I think the problem that we have here and is that we put it on the HR department to do that. That is not the role, okay? So I think the tactical, from my experience, what, what works and what doesn't work, that does not work. What works is get your CEO aligned, right? And so if you're, to answer your question specifically, collectively, collectively get your CEOs organized around leading those efforts. Because if you do it on your own, it's still just an HR transaction. Anyone who's listening, and I'm just like speaking directly to my HR peers, you're shaking your head, you're nodding, because that's right. It's like, how do you get buy-in? How do you get, you know, folks to come, kind of like follow what's going on? You know, it, it always comes better and always lend a, a better message when the leader of the function and or the CEO is driving this initiative and not putting it on the burden of the holding the bag for the people team. Very similar to what my CEO said, what I'm, what we're not going to do is have you only hold the bag on this. Like it's my burden. I'm going to take it on. I designed a team. I hired the people. I designed my C-suite. I made my decisions and I can't come and have you like fix it all because <laughs> I'm making these decisions. Right. All right. Thank you for that. I I will move on. I think that sometimes there, I feel like my, even myself making lots of those connections, um, getting the CEO, getting all leaders aligned can be a bit of a challenge, you know, across different, across companies. So I, I appreciate That's the hard work. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping, I, and I'm, I'm joking myself, but I was hoping you could give me like step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this. But the CEO, getting the CEO aligned is, is a great step. I, I, I you know, that is the biggest step. I mean, I, there is, I have no like very, I, just like all of us, we're kind of like in this organization. I think there's sometimes a misconception that sometimes like even like people of color, like have like the answer for diversity inclusion. 
issues. But like, just to also be clear, like, you know, this is a system that was not created by people of color. This is, we're living in a system. We, I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, in the right way. Um, but to your point, you know, tactically, start with your CEO. Thank you for that. No problem. Let's just switch gears and talk about this idea of remote work. I assume you're, are you, are you able to work remote? Are you working remote? So Help First is a remote first company. Okay. Health Scout has been remote from day one. It's been around for 10 years and we have no plans of being anything else but remote. And this is also the future. That's great. Well, maybe, you know, I think that there's been a really difficult shift for a lot of companies, clearly, the past two years. I mean, I've even seen it just, you know, one of the things I like to talk about folks and see how they're doing, even just that new employee onboarding, right? That experience matters so much to new employees in a remote work environment or virtual work environment. Can you talk about maybe the difference that you've seen at Help Scout versus other places that weren't remote and how they're doing that engagement really well, virtually and remote? So I'm going to take it to a very philosophical... So I work in tech. Most of my experience is in tech. And I think the biggest... And, and I would probably say, in, a, in my, my colleagues who work in other industries, there is nothing like being physically in front of someone, right? There's no exchanging of energy, um, being in a room with someone, breaking bread with them. Like, that is something you really... You, it automatically bring, you know, pulls people together much closely. I think where the challenge sits is I don't think this hybrid hybrid and remote like thing that people are doing I don't agree with it. I think that people need to look at what am I holding on to? And I think here are the themes that I'm hearing is the the holding on to the physical culture, right? So like physical culture meaning all the things that we did physically in the office is never going to be as good if we did it online and kind of discounting that opportunity. Um, also, you know, what really, what, what is important for people? You know, why do people need to get together? Like setting intent around why people should get together and be in a physical space. Um, so at Help Scout, we do an excellent job, you know, bringing our people through an onboarding process where you can meet colleagues and really focus on a personal experience. And that's something that we do here. Another thing that we do is twice a year, we pay for an all-expense trip to a destination for us to have fun. I'm going to actually make an announcement on my LinkedIn that we are taking the whole team, the whole entire company to Dublin, and we're renting on a castle, and we're paying for every single expense and accommodations, and we're doing all kinds of fun activities to really build that bond together and to continue to do work where we need to. Also, you know, from a culture and engagement score standpoint, we are at 98% work-life blend, blend favorable. Like, because we can, un- we understand that like people should give the best 40 hours of their week, whether it's at nine to five, whether it's seven to eight, whatever it is, like, you know, people should, cause people have lives and families and people need to kind of work and juggle and we trust our people. So, you know, for those that are, ch- are in spaces, I really can't speak too much about the hybrid model other than it is difficult to manage a culture there. And if we are answering the question around, we're not holding on to our physical space, we're not holding on to the fact that we just renewed our lease in this multi-million dollar building and we can't let it go, we need our money's worth. And if we can't hold on to and all these other things and also making a decision around gathering people with intent and, and, and giving out budgets and structures for people to kind of do those things, 
um, then I, I really don't have much to say. And also remote is going to be the future. I think we're kind of just dragging our heels. I say maybe in five more years, it'll be the thing that we do. Unless there are work that people actually need to be physically in the office to perform the duties. Yeah, I hope so. I'm going to move into our last segment, which is called Asking for a Friend. I'm just asking for a friend. Hey, asking for a friend. What would you say to employees out there who are struggling with work, work-related problems or struggling at work to be successful? Could be because of the pandemic or any other reason. Um, could be their pay isn't enough or they don't get along with their boss. Like what, what advice would you give them? Um, maybe we can take one, maybe we can narrow down to which one of those because they all have different answers. So if, yeah. so which, which ones, which, which, so tell me what your friend would want to know. When I'm thinking about this, this came to me because I was thinking of the great resignation and the impact that that's having. So that's, you know, people are, are leaving roles. Um, I'd say what I, from what I'm running primarily because of pay, but also work-life balance and money or may, uh, going back to, they don't want to go back to the office, the pay, and they want better work-life balance. Here's my take on the great resignation. Um, it is, I am looking at it. Help Scout is benefiting from that, by the way. Are, are people coming yeah, people want something completely different. People want to work in a company where they're treated like adults, the thought leaders that they are within their specialties, given the trust and the autonomy to to be creative and do creative work. And a lot of a lot of for a very long time there has been such a grind. You know, for so many people, so many so people, I know colleagues have done back-to-back IPOs. I know colleagues that have done all kinds of different things and it's a grind and, you know, people are resigning for so many reasons. You know, some people are, you know, after the pandemic and seeing how life is so precious that you can turn around and someone can pass away from this, this disease, from this virus. And then you kind of look at yourself and be like, what am I doing all this for? Like, what moments am I missing in my life to where I can't do things? Can I explore the world? Can I be somewhere and come back? Like all these different things. So, I mean, so one of my team, um, uh, one of my recruiters uh, spent like the last three months in Barcelona because that's what he just wanted to do and got his work done. And it was great. And I, and the only requirement we had for him was send pictures <laughs> of what you're doing and all the food you're eating. And so it's really giving people that freedom to, to, to live and work and get work done. Obviously there's deadlines. We have OKRs. There are goals. The business runs and functions. There are meetings that people need to be a part of and, you know, and think through. But for the most part, we really like work around that. So for anyone, so if anyone who's dealing with the great resignation and you're making a decision, going back to the what's love got to do with it, it's like, what's more important to you in your life? And people are making decisions based on that. That's great. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge is facing HR in the next five to 10 years? The ability to be less tactical and more strategic the ability to be business leaders as opposed to this is what my CEO, this is what my leader wants me to do, so I'm going to do it. And for us to stand up an industry that really understands what motivates people, not what motivates people at work only, but what motivates people. And the faster people can get to that answer and say like, hey, business leaders, this is what actually what people want. 
or this is how you're going to get the most out of people from a motivation standpoint. Understand a human condition and educate the business on what that looks like. That is where the that's where the industry is going because there's going to be more stuff happening to that, and there's a lot of things that are indicating to, that that we should be that way. Yeah, so really focusing on that human experience and how to meet people where they are. Well, everyone's trying to get better at their jobs. You have had an incredible career. Like I said, I've really enjoyed listening to you, watching you, talking to you today. But what's next for you, Latoya? I mean, you know, what's next for me is I am at Help Scout and I am enjoying my time there. And I plan on, you know, being there to help the team, you know, the company grow and succeed. And that is, you know, every morning I wake up so thankful for that opportunity. Other things that I am doing, I will be on February 12th. I'm going to put it on my LinkedIn. I'm going to be speaking at Harvard Business School really talking about very similar topics um, alongside with the uh, ex-CEO of Deloitte and a commissioner of WNBA, really just really speaking about like what this actually means and using some of my Cardi B lyrics to kind of like help translate to our crew. And so you, you can find me there, but for the most part, like, you know, doing my best work, growing and developing my team putting Help Scouts brand and culture out there. It's the best culture, the results and the people show it and just continue to, to, to grow that organization. Great. Well, that's right. This has been very informative and, and, and a lot of fun for me to sit here and talk to you and learn from you. Before I let you go, will you tell our listeners um, just where they can find you on LinkedIn, maybe spell your name as well? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Please reach out, send me a, a message if you want to. I always reply, Latoya Lynn, L-A-T-O-Y-A-L-Y-N. I have like a little Afro and a yellow top, if that that's me. And yeah, please feel free to friend me or send me a message. Uh, uh, and thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for joining me, Latoya. This has been great. Awesome, thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler the modern internet software that simplifies the employee experience. Learn more about how Simpler can help you build the future of your employee experience at Simpler.com. That's S-I-N-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.